We're going to look at God's Word together now. And this morning, I'm going to be quite brief. There's probably a lot going on in our hearts and minds, different for each one of us. But we're going to come back to God's Word, and that's what we're going to focus on together now. But firstly, just a quick update on our garden So many of you have asked uh, in between when I spoke last time about how the garden is and how things are. Well, I can report that the garden is, um, it's going well, although there was another chapter to the saga that we returned to Suffolk, which is where the house is, having been in St. Albans. And um, we'd arranged for this gardener, as many of you know, to be there and to look after the garden in our absence. And um, sadly, when we returned and walked out into the garden, everything was half dead um, because the gardener hadn't actually turned up. So, um, so some of our holiday was spent reviving this garden, which Tim managed to do a lot of watering over the weeks that we were there. But I have got a picture. It's still not very impressive. I'm always a bit embarrassed when we show, but, but it is good. And the, the tree is growing. And um, I just want to say thank you. You've been invested in this. I even had an offer of somebody saying they could help me find a reliable gardener after the first service. So thank you so much for your kindness. Oh, goodness. But this restoration that we've seen in our garden speaks into a message of restoration and hope that's found in Isaiah 61. And that's the passage of Scripture that I want us to look together and to delve into this morning. It's a passage of Scripture that has come up repeatedly over these past difficult months. And I'm told it's one that's been really significant for Soul Survivor as a church over the years. And it feels really right to look at this today. And I want to do this by looking at this passage in three ways. I want us to look at the who, the what, and the why. Who is this passage for and about? What does it mean and why is it so important? So firstly, the who. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. The who in this passage was God's people because this was a prophecy and a message and a promise for their future, spoken into a time of exile, of pain and difficulty, spoken as a signpost pointing the way in hope to a future of God's making a message of good news for the poor, of binding up the brokenhearted, of freedom for captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and of comfort for those who mourn and provision for those who grieve. And who is it who will do these things, that will bring these things about? The who is Jesus Jesus is the one who is being spoken about here in this passage. He's the one that will come to fulfill and embody all that is longed for and promised. 
It is him who will bring that good news, freedom, comfort, release, provision. And how powerful must it have been for God's people in history, his promise speaking right into their pain. But this is not just for them, this is for us too, because we are also the who. This is a message for us in the time that we find ourselves in, both as individuals and as a community of God's people and as a world that God loves. A message of hope that is for all those and all those of us who find themselves on the edges of life, the brokenhearted, the captives and prisoners, not just literally, but of themselves, of ourselves, all those who feel imprisoned and held captive by life circumstances, for those who mourn and for those who grieve. And this is a message of hope that is far-reaching, all-encompassing and life-changing. And here we see a circle that hasn't just been drawn small around a certain amount of people or certain amount of life circumstances. This is the reality of God's love, broad and wide and deep, reaching everyone, reaching everything, and out to all those who find themselves unreachable. As the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, that you may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. So secondly, what? What is it that God longs for and promises for his people, for his people Israel? And what is it now for that Jesus would bring for all people and fulfill? These are not just simply comforting words. This is about the life-changing difference that God brings to the lives of those who know him and love him. Let's look at verse three. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. This is a message about transformation and restoration, a journey from despair to hope, from brokenness to healing. For the people of Israel who had spent years wandering in the wilderness, in exile, this is a promise that this is not where their journey will end. There's more to the story. God has more to come for them. And for us too, this is so much more than we can do in our own strength. When we come to God with the ashes of our lives, he promises to exchange them for something beautiful in his love. And uh, I felt this keenly this week. Sadly, we were burgled last Friday, which was an awful experience. And um, they took some things, and it isn't just about the 
the kind of value, it's that sentimental, those things that were taken that feel in some ways irreplaceable. And it's never pleasant when you feel that you've almost become a bit of a kind of living sermon illustration, but that's how it's felt a little bit this week. Um, I felt like we've lived it. And in the days following, I've heard God just saying gently, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. And if I'm honest, in this situation, I don't understand what that means quite yet. But um, it's hard, but I'm trusting God that that will be the case. And it was these words, beauty for ashes, that led me back to this passage, Isaiah 61. And when I read it and was thinking about this talk today, it even includes these words, for I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery, which uh, is a relief to know because, uh, yes, so do I, Lord. But sometimes in life, we can feel like we've had something taken from us, something stolen even. And this isn't just about things. This is about people or about the hopes that we have and the future that we imagined or wanted. It's about the parts of our lives that really matter. And the grief and pain of that is very real. And when I was thinking about what to say this morning, just feel like there might be others of us here today who feel that they've had something stolen, something taken from them. And that's really, really difficult. And I just get that feeling that God wants to meet you, meet us in that today and bring his comfort and his healing in this passage from Isaiah, we see images of a funeral and a bereavement. There's the words there, ashes, mourning, despair. Ashes represent destruction, loss, and the remnants left from what was once vibrant and alive. And maybe this resonates with us, maybe especially today as individuals and as a church community. And maybe we need to grieve for all that has been lost or feels as though it's lost, and that's okay. It's okay to grieve. God invites us to offer him the ashes of our lives and to trust in his transforming power, even when we don't fully understand to allow God to bring his healing, to give us his joy and the inheritance that he has for us, his children. Because with God, there's always more. And even when we get to those points where we feel it's the end, it's never the end. And in total contrast with these images of a funeral spoken about here, the image of what God gives in exchange are images commonly used and would have been at the time this was written of a wedding, of a celebration, a crown, oil used for anointing the couple, a garment of praise worn during the celebrations. And there couldn't be two more contrasting events, could there? God promises to exchange the ashes of our lives with something so wonderful, with his beauty 
and with gladness and with praise, so that everlasting joy would be ours. And so finally then, why? Why is this passage so important? Why do we need to take these words to heart? Verse four says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is our God, the God we believe in and trust in, at work in the lives of his people for good. And for Israel, this was about them coming back to God and about the practical outworking of that. And for them at that point, it would mean a physical rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem where it had been damaged and destroyed. And God was telling them that with his help, they would rebuild. They would rebuild those ancient ruins, restore and renew the places long devastated. He was saying that there would be joy where there had been shame and disgrace and that he had a future for them. We hear that God's people would be called oaks of righteousness, planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Righteousness, this is not about being right not about being right in the world, the way that the world sees it and understands it, right rather than wrong, something that can change in an instant, something that's subjective. This is about being righteous, right in God's eyes. And so we can't do it in our own strength. We can't make ourselves right. It's only through our faith in Jesus that we are made right in God's eyes. And because of Jesus, we can plant ourselves deep into God. And that's what sustains us and gives us strength. Later in this passage, verse 11, it also says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. God's grace and his goodness are poured out upon his people for a reason. This isn't just for us and our own sake. It's so that we might be living testimony to God's goodness, our lives giving glory to him, that we would be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, praising and worshiping him with every part of our lives. And so as part of that, we are each called by God to help in that work of rebuilding, restoring, renewing, to pick up our spades and get to work in the building work of his kingdom here on earth, in our church, in our families, in our community, in our world, bringing hope to all those who find themselves on the edges of life, the brokenhearted, the captives and prisoners, those who mourn and grieve, trusting that God would, dis, would bestow on them and us 
a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. And that we and many, many, many people would know his everlasting joy. That we would be like oaks of righteousness, planted deep into him and praising him with every part of our lives.